0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dharma Toolkit podcast. Hello from me, Chandra Dasa. And I'm here today to have a lovely conversation about poetry, which is one of a whole set of episodes on that particular art form. You may have heard yesterday's episode on W.H. Auden's poem, Ironic Points of Light, the episode was called, looking at the idea of each of us being an affirming flame in a time of crisis. And the idea for these podcasts focusing on the arts and particularly on beauty as a response to the arts really has come out of the conversations we've had previously. The sense of the need, the urgent need for imaginative connection between people, people keeping each other company in non-functional, non-practical ways through the utter strangeness of everybody being locked down, shut down, those kinds of rather horrid words that mean it's just as in the four walls most of the time. The sense of reaching out for connection in ways that involve beauty, truth, a sense of wonder, a sense of the sacred. We've had some great conversations with painters, great conversations with poets. We've evoked the sense of reverence, devotion, things that aren't necessarily what you'd immediately turn to when speaking about the coronavirus or the COVID crisis, but it's what's come out of people's experience as they go week to week. And we decided we wanted to do a particular focus on this. And one of our guests, who we will say hello to in a second, really stepped up and has curated a series of fantastic conversations this week for us with some other friends of hers. And we'll be speaking today in particular about a project that's been running in Trinata for decades now called Wolf at the Door. And also the American poet, William Stafford, poet of the West Western states in America. First of all, though, before we welcome our guests for that conversation, we hope you're well, wherever you are. We know that everybody has a range of challenges that they face and that those challenges can change week to week, of course. Concern for ourselves, concern for our loved ones, concern for all the great practicalities of life like income and work, etc., so as usual, we like to emphasize that part of the whole point of this podcast is just to be a community together, to know that you're being born in mind by others around the world, to encourage you to bear other people in mind who have points of connection with you, whether it's around Buddhism or Dharma, or just an interest in meeting the human condition with something around truth and beauty. So for the first of these conversations I'd love to welcome our first guest who's been helping us put this together. She's going to tell us a bit in a moment about why these conversations, but first hello to you personally Papa Chandra. Thanks for joining us and maybe you could say a little bit about where you are and what your situation's like in the lockdown.
1: Hello, Chandra Dasa. Thanks ever so much. I'm so appreciating these podcasts and feeling connected to people through them. My situation is I'm in the UK, I'm in England. I'm a live in carer one week a month, and I've just come back from a care job. I'm at home for a day, and then I discovered, well, through talking to my mum, that she needed help caring for my dad. So I'm going to be going up to Scotland tomorrow. So I'm in a Bardo day between those two things. Yeah, glad to be able to help my parents.
0: And how have you found it personally, yourself, just this kind of strange period of becalmed seas and stirred waters. Yes. <laughs>
1: it's hard to say what it is, isn't it? I think at first I was one of the people that didn't have a lot on, I didn't have to do a lot, so it sort of took everything away. But then I found, I was surprised at how up and down I felt during the days. And I think what it was, was I didn't sort of take into account how connected we all are. And how we're within a broader mandala of people. We're in a kind of a network of people, and I was just affected by that, as we all are. And now I'm going to probably be, I've gone into more of a busy kind of time. That's kind of what's happening.
0: Now, people are going to be listening to this conversation. They can't see what I can see, these lovely little jewelled rectangles where you're all painted in lovely light on my screen. But behind you, rather unusually, is this very lovely image. There's an owl swooping through a moonlit sky. One of the things we have in common, because we've known each other for quite a long time, haven't we? And the word Chandra is in both both our names, Padma Chandra, Chandra Dasa. Chandra means moon, and there is this beautiful glowing moon radiant behind you on Zoom. Can you say a little bit about that image and why that's your backdrop?
1: Yes, that's another aspect of my existence is that I did an MA in children's book illustration, which finished a year ago, and now I make children's books. So that's an illustration. Sometimes when you put something up on your backdrop on zoom, you forget to take it down. So it's there, but it seems quite appropriate. It looks as if there's an owl zooming into my ear and look at the backdrop.
0: Maybe you could send us the image and we'll put that up as the podcast <laughs> yeah, image and then okay, everyone will get okay, to see it. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us today and thanks for uh, creating this series of conversations. We'll turn now to our next guest, who is a friend of yours, but someone I've never met before in real life, Farah Sahaya. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming to talk today about beauty, wonder, meaning, all of it.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Chandra Dasa. Good to meet you.
0: (laughs) Where are you in the world and what's your situation like?
2: So I'm in the very south of Herefordshire in England. But the border of Wales is just below my house. I live with my husband here in the country. It's very beautiful at the moment. So uh, we look across the valley into Wales. It's very green. I've got a few neighbours. We're looking out for each other, sort of helping out each other with shopping and things like that. And just when we go out for walks, we sometimes call on people who are living on their own or we stand and chat in the lane at a distance. I think I'm very aware of what's going on. So although I'm living here, I'm in touch with a lot of people. And I've had for five years nearly a a study group on Skype with some Mitra friends. So I'm used to being on technology, but I found the amount of technology rather than real people has been kind of strange, really. It's not the same, even though we're very, very fortunate to have it. And I've been able to do a bit of sort of semi-retreat time. And I've written a poem. I haven't written anything for a long time, but I've actually managed to write a poem. So,
0: Did I ask you to read the poem? Is that, is that so <laughs> likely?
2: No, it's not quite finished. <laughs> I could read you the draft if you really want it. But
0: Oh, yeah, of course you really want it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why don't you just read it now? I'll so read it now. It, yeah. yourself. That's perfect. Snapshot of your psyche.
2: It's called Lollipops. And there's a date, the 2nd of May 2000 which is relevant for later. This afternoon, I keep going back, lifting the tea towel, feeling the cloth's soft shrunken weave between my childhood fingers, lifting it to look at the sticks I've planted in their dappled tent. Dad says they'll grow into lollipops. Surely there is magic. Can I want the world to be more than visits to kindly aunts and funny aunts and gruff uncles and TV on Saturday afternoons with the curtains drawn to shield the screen from the dusty light? More than black and white films and the wrestling. I keep going back. Most of them are cameos now. A family tree of absence. A hundred years ago today, my mother was a newborn. Skipping down the path after forgetting and lifting the cloth, there are lollipops, traffic light ovals dressed in cellophane, planted upright in the dry soil.
0: Thank you very much. That feels like a very lovely way to meet you. <laughs> you. For people listening to meet you. And our third guest today, I would never dare to call him our last guest or our final <laughs> guest. Our third guest is a very old friend of mine, someone who has been, well, just an encouragement ever since I first met him a long time ago now, and who I think is in some way quite central to some of the conversations we're going to be having today. He's my friend, many people's friend, Ananda. And before I say hello to Ananda, I just want to tell people a little bit about Ananda where he's probably not going to approve of me doing this, but this is called executive power when you have the microphone. And Ananda founded Dharma Chakra, which is the organization that I work for and have worked for for about 25 years. Ananda founded it a long time ago in 1968-ish, something like that. And Dharma Chakra runs Free Buddhist Audio, it runs the Buddhist Centre Online, the Dharma Toolkit, all of that. And I've been very fortunate to have, and as a friend and encourager over the years, both in poetry and in work. We've had some lovely conversations about the history of his own work around Dharma Chakra and the Dharma before. But actually, we have never recorded a podcast just about poetry. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you today, Ananda. Thanks very much for joining us.
3: Oh, yeah, I'm well. And it's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful place to be. But we've got a particularly kind of stressful element with me and my partner, Sarajivani, is that we're halfway between moving to Sheffield from Bristol. And we can't move because we're in lockdown. So everything's kind of packed and almost ready to move, but we can't actually do it. So we're in the air somewhere. I don't quite know where we are. I mean, My soul is in one place and my body's in another place. <laughs> But it's a lovely place to be. I think that's something that I often don't appreciate. You know, this beautiful greenery, there's a park just up the hill from here. We've got our own kind of private garden, which I showed you just a little bit of before. In fact, you've been in it, Chandradasa. So I'm kind of happy and I'm writing as well. I've been doing some, not as much as I used to do, but every few days one pops out. <laughs> and uh, so that's good. But there is this feeling of stasis, of being unable to move, a bit like a sort of Bardo state, so it's a bit of jargon, a sort of in-between state, between two worlds, and we can't jump. But it is an opportunity as well. So I'm really appreciating the chance to read poetry and not have to do very much else and enjoy the environment. My exercise, since we're not supposed to go out very far from the house, my exercise is a couple of circuits of the little wood at the bottom of this garden. So it takes about 20 minutes to do that, which I'm getting to know the plants and the trees really well.
0: When you were saying a minute ago, my heart's in one place and my body's in another, I was quite glad that your face and your voice are on the internet currently. And what you were showing us before we started recording, the scene out of your window, just the green and the blue sky which is, I think, where I sort of imagine you generally. is sort of located somewhere between the green and the blue sky as a yeah. companion to all the plants and the animals, et cetera. So, yes, welcome, everybody. Some almost perfect beings to have this particular conversation. And, Pamachandra, I'm sort of aware that you've put a lot of time and energy and, and thought and care into the conversations that we're going to have over the next week or so. Yeah, we're going to sort of space them out, give people time to reflect, dwell a bit on what's said, inhabit the images a little, as they come up. So what was in your mind when you decided to take this approach to the podcast?
1: Well, I think the word soul or soulfulness is maybe relevant. I kind of had a sense that for all of us, there's a disruption that's happened. You know, there's a disruption. And sometimes I was thinking a bit about one of our teachers, Viveka, once talking about the the Buddhist word or syllable, pat. And she did this very sort of suddenly when she was teaching. And then there'd be like a kind of quietness after that, that something could arise in. And it's a bit like this disruption in which something else can arise. I am interested in, or I have a sense, like I'm sure a lot of us do, that there are sort of parallel lives going on at the same time in our lives. There's a sort of functional life where you know, there are things that have to be done. And we're almost like on a treadmill sometimes, you know, before this coronavirus started. And then there's something else that can arise that can can break into that moments of beauty. Or I sometimes think of the phrase a river under the river that's going on all the time. And I think those are the moments that I have an idea that at death, they sort of all gather around us. And they're the really important moments. That's what's really real. So I wanted to help to find ways to connect with that river under the river I suppose with these podcasts so that was the sort of thing I wanted to have podcasts that were quite soulful and I first of all thought about my very good friends in Wolf at the Door and how important they are to me and I wanted to talk about William Stafford and how he could be somebody he can be a guide to this river under the river and in fact, there was also another little thread, which is that where Arnand is talking about where he's living at the moment, we've had quite a lot of wolf-at-the-door gatherings there. And so it's quite a sort of time for us in the Wolf anger that Arnander and Shadarjeevni are moving from what we call Wolf Hall. We've, we've sort of called it Wolf Hall. <laughs> but perhaps we should say more about what wolf-at-the-door actually is, because it might not mean very much to others. But it's basically, it's a connection between our practice as Buddhists and the arts, and in particular in terms of writing. Yeah. And um, thank you so much, Varasahara and Ananda, for being here as well. And Varasahara, I just think of you being on some of the Wolf at the Door retreats. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about what it is. What is Wolf hmm. at the Door?
2: Yeah, trying to say what wolf at the door is is quite hard. I know Arnanda and Manjusvra, who initially did the retreats and workshops, were saying this will keep the wolf from the door in terms of income. But actually, they realised, no, this is keeping the wolf at the door. So if you imagine what it's like being on one side of the door with a wolf at the other, it's like there's something completely wild and authentic. And it's whether you open the door to it or not, I think. Yeah it doesn't let you fool around <laughs> wolf at the door's got a sort of external look and then there's a kind of internal wolf at the door so the external bit is it was started by on in the mid 90s and then manjushva joined him and what it looks like is a series of writing workshops and retreats but actually i often shock people by saying well wolf at the door isn't about writing because in a certain way it isn't. It's actually what writing can do. And there's something about being authentic that when we write, it gives us access to things that perhaps we wouldn't normally have access to about ourselves. And what we do is encourage people, whatever we're doing, just do what comes. So don't censor yourself. Yeah, to welcome whatever comes without aiming for any kind of result. I think that's the important thing about it, which takes quite a lot of courage. I find it's quite easy to try and censor myself, but it's an opportunity to let go of the expectations we have of ourselves and then let whatever arises teach us. And I think this is where William Stafford comes in, that we can trust ourselves, that there's something in us that's trustworthy and it's transformative. So to start with, we just let everything in. And I think there's something about that in Buddhist practice, that it's very important to be with whatever your experience is. Just see what that is as a start. And I think if we don't let what's there in, it sort of sits like a toad in our psyche. (laughs) Because we often want to let good things in, although I think sometimes we can even actually limit ourselves with the sort of things that are wonderful and beautiful, and well, perhaps I won't go there, but also with things that we feel are rather dark. And it just allows depth. I think it allows us to have a depth to our experience. But to allow depth, you have to have safety. And I think one of the reasons that we have a group of 10 of us now who run Wolf at the Door is that we are friends. We do know each other. We do care about each other. We are able to disagree And that not to be a big thing. But we can then hold the group that we have because of our friendships. And one of the very important things about Wolf at the Door is we have a chair, a very special chair. And it looks like an ordinary chair, but actually it's an extraordinary chair. If you can see what this chair is really like, you know, it's a very sort of magic chair. And it's where people come to read what they've written. So being in a circle with other people and then stepping across the circle to sit in that chair and share your experience with the group gives what you said weight. It gives weight to your experience. And it also means that you're being heard by other people in a very particular way. And it also requires the rest of the group to listen and support that person. We get a lot of empathy, really, even if some of our groups are a bit chaotic sometimes initially. What happens by the end of a wolf's weekend or retreat is usually a lot of empathy and care between people. And I think our job is to really hold the group and then give them the opportunity to actually go into those depths. Hmm.
1: One thing that I just remember about that is that that chair that you're talking about, didn't that arise from another important figure? as well as Ananda, who founded Wolf at the Door, is Manjushra. The two of them founded it. That Manjushra was losing his hearing and that that chair evolved partly as a listening chair because he needed to have a chair next to him that people would go and sit on that chair. And I think that's how it evolved.
2: Yeah, yes, it is. It was, yeah. it was an accident, a very fortuitous accident that Manjushri was losing his hearing. And uh, initially you had to go and sit between the leaders of the retreat, Manjushri and Ananda, which I think is also very important, actually, that they are there at either side of you. And one of the things I think they very quickly realised was the importance of that, But it was one of those happy accidents. And um, we've kept it ever since. Yes, and Manjushri used to cover his one ear so he could hear. So you'd sit next to his good ear and he'd put his hand behind his ear and cock his head and listen to you. A bit like Milarepa, the Buddhist saint.
3: I've actually got a thing here, which Manjusra wrote, and it's called Coming to Know William Stafford. I'll just read the first paragraph, so it's quite interesting. I was first introduced to the work of William Stafford by Robert Bly. I attended one of Bly's gatherings for men in Dorset in 1990. During the course of the weekend, Bly told a beautiful story about Stafford. When a small boy, Stafford and his father were out in the woods looking for a hawk, his father told him to look carefully in the trees since he might see the hawk better than he could. Stafford recalled the jolt he felt when he realized he might spot the hawk first and the tone he felt in his father's voice, blessing which said, maybe you can, maybe you can't but give it a try. Bly pointed out how precious that sort of father's blessing can be for a small boy. Indeed, it may go somewhere to explain the serenity and quiet confidence that Stafford seemed to possess throughout his life. So I think that's a quality which Manducer imbibed from Stafford, of serenity and quiet confidence, not in himself so much, but in the process. And I think that has fed slowly through into Wolf at the Door's founding principles in that we trust, that we are encouraged to trust the process of writing and writing bringing in the imagination, the wildness which the imagination contains. That's really the idea that gave, well, in the first place, me, the idea to do these workshops and we did a few of them around in New Hampshire in America and in London, I think. And then at Dharnakosha, our retreat centre in Scotland. There's an awful lot I could say, but I think that's the kind of essence of it. And Manjusra really sort of loved Stafford, not just as a poet, but as a man. And I think that's one of the things that also tends to be a bit of a hidden transmission into Wolf at the Door, because we never forget that we are human beings. We're all fallible and we're all trying to trust that there is a sort of caring quality in the world and in our relationships. And I really feel that these two streams, the idea of poetry as a kind of process of discovery and imagination and this human quality of trusting and caring for one another, they go parallel but hand in hand. And I think that is probably one of the most basic things I love what Stafford says. Another founding principle is the idea of failure and fallibility, Um, the willingness to fail. Failure is the great teacher. Maybe your stumbling saves you. I must be willingly fallible in order to deserve a place in the realm where miracles happen. And I absolutely love that because I'm a very fallible person. I'm probably getting more and more fallible as I get older. And I I try to build that into my psychic evolution or even spiritual evolution. I always do things the wrong way by instinct. And I've discovered an awful lot through that. And often it's produced a lot of conflict between me and Mandusra. But, you know, mistakes are of the essence of change and evolution, I think. He goes on to say, this is Stafford again, talking about deserving a place in a realm where miracles happen. The interesting word for me here is willingly. We can't help being fallible. But to be willingly fallible is a creative act in which the imagination participates. So I think that's probably said enough.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Alanda. One thing I noticed was that there was a time when you spoke about writer's block and Manjushra didn't believe in it. And there was something about William Stafford in there. And then... Not that long after, you seem to be producing poems every day, and then you just did that for the rest of
3: the time, and you're still doing that. I used to be dreadfully writerly blocked, (laughs) that's a phrase, in that I couldn't write for years, because I had this idea of what writing was or is, essentially, as something that poets do, and I wasn't a poet. So it was a kind of double bind in a way. And it took me a very long time indeed to get around, get above that, get beyond that dichotomy. And when I realized through Stafford and through Manjusra that mistakes could be part of the process of creativity, I think that was a great release for me. And there was a particular moment at Darnakosha, I think it was in 2009, I think it could have been 10, when I kind of... Was walking by the loch on a beautiful sort of early summer morning, and I was just gazing at the waters of the loch. And anyone who's been to Dhanakosha will be able to vividly imagine, realize the image of the loch sparkling in early sunshine. And I saw a kind of angel hovering above the water. I mean, it was just a sort of area of brilliant light, really, sort of doing some strange uh, hallucinogenic things on my brain. But I characterized it and perceived it as an angel. And somehow there was a kind of blessing in that moment. And, and I just started writing poetry, anything. Really, that was the beginning of about a 10 or 12 year period when I hadn't really stopped until about two years ago, when it sort of faded, slightly faded, due to other things succeeding it. Yeah, so there was this period when I was just writing almost nonstop every day. I don't mean all day. I mean every time I sat down to write, I could write because I didn't stop myself from writing. And I think that was the crucial thing because I had the feeling that there was this angel's blessing somehow making it okay for me to write whatever came.
2: I've got a poem of Stafford's here, which seems to fit with what you said, because, you know, one of the things that I've always found really helpful that Stafford said was, if you can't write, lower your standards. Mm. And I think your burst of creativity was partly because that's what you did. You just allowed yourself to write. Yeah. But this poem of William Stafford's is called When I Met My Muse. And it feels like that was his angel appearing. When I met my muse, I glanced at her and took my glasses off. They were still singing. They buzzed like a locust on the coffee table and then ceased. Her voice belled forth and the sunlight bent. I felt the ceiling arch and knew that the nails up there took a new grip on whatever they touched. I am your own way of looking at things, she said. When you allow me to live with you... Every glance at the world around you will be a sort of salvation. And I took her hand. One of the things, you know, talking about what I was talking about, Wolf at the Door, about valuing our own unique experience and what it can teach us. I love the way he takes his glasses off. It's like he's taking off his usual way of seeing life and seeing the world. And they're like a locust, which... I love that sort of buzzing when you drop your glasses on the table, but also locusts can be quite destructive, you know, so that our ordinary way of seeing the world cannot be good for us sometimes. And at the end, he takes her hand. There's something about taking hold of the sense of delight and rightness when we embrace it. And I got that sense from you talking, Arnanda, that when you sort of embraced your angel, there's the new grip in the roof. And it does happen. It's about not writing for results, but writing for discovery.
3: Exactly, yeah.
0: One of the things Manjushva did, of course, was start a press, the Weatherlight Press, to bring Stafford partly back into circulation, and particularly in the UK for the first time, travelling through the dark and then... Later, was it holding onto the grass?
1: One of the things about William Stafford is that I have a sense that his kind of voice is just going on all the time somehow and it just breaks through. And sometimes when I'm on retreat or just in everyday life, his voice comes into my mind. And if you get a chance to listen to him on YouTube or anything, reading his poetry, his voice is amazing. So this is called Bifocal. Sometimes up, out of this land, a legend begins to move. Is it a coming near of something under love? Love is of the earth only, the surface a map of roads, leading wherever go miles, or little bushes nod. Not so the legend under, fixed, inexorable, deep as the darkest mine, the thick rocks won't tell. As fire burns the leaf, and out of the green appears the vein in the centre line, and the legend veins under there. So the world happens twice. Once what we see it as, second, it legends itself, deep, the way it is. What I love about that is this sense of the two lives going on at the same time. And when William Stanford talked about lower your standards, he wasn't talking about. Abandoning anything. He was talking about originality isn't something that we have to create. We all have it, just like our handwriting is always unique. What can get in the way is all these sort of plans and imperatives that we have. If we can just listen to what occurs to us and just follow that, follow that thread, then we're more likely to arrive at this kind of authentic voice that we all have, that legend that we're all in touch with, that deeper legend underneath. I just love that poem, and I love the language of the poem as well.
0: The coming near of something under love is pretty interesting idea, isn't it? Like your river under the river thing again. One thing that's occurred to me just listening to your conversation is that Wolf at the Door itself as an image, and some of this discourse from Stafford of what lies beneath, there is a sense of present urgency, but there's also the potential for danger even, or a sense of threat. And it's interesting to sit with that and what you were saying, Varsahaya, about safety and the need for safety as a space. One of the things that's emerged from conversations through the COVID crisis has been that the urgency is definitely closer to people. They can see it. as like your face is against the glass. But also that sense of threat and danger seems to be kind of an important part of it energetically.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly within that sense of danger and crisis Traditionally in in Buddhism, it's in the cremation ground that the figure of the darkening arises, the sky dancer, the energy of communication. And of course, in that space, it's possible for us to sort of really question, be more in touch with what's really important to us. Do we have to carry on as we were before? That's the sort of thing that I've been thinking about. In that space, something new can arise and in that space of danger that has a sort of sense of reality about it as well.
2: I was thinking that one of the things I've noticed initially, myself and some of my friends were doing, is you go to your favourite thing that helps you feel safe. <laughs> so that can be all sorts of things. can be too much internet, too much news, Yeah, a few drinks. I mean, whatever it is, we've all got our favourite sort of safety thing that isn't really that creative. Ananda's waving a teapot to just... <laughs> Yeah, tea is a good one. But yeah, and actually for us as human beings, the sense of safety is quite important as long as it doesn't tie us down too much. And I think, you know, that's what we're actually trying to do is have some kind of sense that we aren't going to disappear, but at the same time have a creative life, which does let that sort of wild creativity in. Because otherwise, we're sort of half dead. I think there's something about being really alive. And this is a terrible crisis. But for those of us who get through it, actually, it is a huge opportunity at the same time, even though perhaps it doesn't always feel like it.
3: The poem I've chosen is The Way It Is. I love this poem because it is just exactly saying how things are. Well, I'll just read it, I think, and then you see for yourself. It's quite short. It's only 10 lines. The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change. But it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread." So that in 10 lines, I think, sums up something very fundamental about Stafford and Wolf at the Door. He starts off, what well, it's called the way it is, the way the universe is, the way things, the universe works, the way humanity works. So he's kind of giving you straight from the shoulder, right from the go, in the beginning there's a thread you follow so he never explains about the thread and that's a very wise decision i think if i was writing a poem that began with that i think i might have tried to explain all the sort of metaphorical meanings of the thread and just exhausted everybody but he just doesn't do that he just says you don't ever let go of the thread now you could say well the thread is what the spiritual life the thread is a spiritual path the thread is reality And you have to keep holding it all the way along, no matter what happens. And it goes among things that change, but itself, it doesn't change. Reality doesn't change, but it's hard for others to see. So you could say, well, I'm a Buddhist, or I'm a Christian, or whatever. But that's sort of giving a label to the thread, but it doesn't really say what it is. And it's almost impossible to do that. You have to experience it. The most you can do is entice people in. To the world in which the thread can be grasped. So, while you hold it, you can't get lost. So, if you hold on to this reality, if you hold on to this path, however you define it or look at it, you can't get lost. But that doesn't mean that everything's honey pie and apple pie and cream sort of thing. It's not at all. Tragedies happen, people get hurt, die, and you suffer and get old. These are the realities, these are the fundamental realities of being born that these things happen. So why bother about the thread? Well, that's a secret which is not explained in the poem. But he just ends up by saying there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop time having its effect, no matter what you do. You can't get over that problem. And that's both a terrible problem and possibly a wonderful solution to suffering, if you accept that And you don't ever let go of the thread, no matter what happens. You keep hold of that thread of reality, of spiritual truth. You have to follow it wherever it leads. So there we are. I think that's one of Stafford's most significant poems, in that he just said, right, I'm going to give it to you as I see it now. This is how things are. And you can find out yourself what the thread is, because that's the work that you as a reader or as a follower, a practitioner, you have to do that yourself. Poetry can give you these little hints, but not more than that. So I, I love that. And some might say, well, it's not particularly interesting as a poem because it doesn't do amazing things with metaphor or images. Uh, apart from the, there's only one real image in it, which is the thread. Everything else is telling you how things are. I think that's one reason it has such a magical hold. It comes from a special place. It comes from a place of imagination.
2: One of the things that poem, the way it resonates with me, is to do with mystery. You know, that river under the river that Padmachandra was talking about, it's there and it's mysterious. And sometimes we can try too hard to pin it down. And certainly, you know, Dharma practice for me, I wrote a poem once called Navigating by Shadows, because, you know, sometimes you think, yeah, I've really got hold of the thread. And sometimes you think I have no idea where it is, but you've got a sense it's there. So I think there is something about the fact that it's unexplained is because it's unexplainable in a certain kind of way that we all have difficulties in our lives and our practice. And actually, that's kind of part of it that sort of mysteriousness and and sometimes not quite knowing where you are, but holding on.
3: Mm. Yeah, that idea is very powerful, isn't it? That you don't need to understand it, but you just have to know it's there. Mm. And that keeps things in their place, as it were. It keeps us in our place as well.
0: <laughs> There's so many threads, as it were, that open out, I think, into people's experience at the moment from this conversation, this, what it's like to hold the balance of the threat, the crisis, the urgency, and also... Just the opening out into something and the trust and the, the letting go into friendship, into beauty, into love. Um, for one, I'm very excited about following the thread of this conversation into the next couple of episodes and just kind of following something along and seeing what emerges, not with a sense of where you're going or what the outcome is, just trusting to the process. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today. First of all, yeah, thanks to you, Varasahaya, for just being brave enough to show up with a poem, just as a way of saying hello. You have a poem that's not finished, the bravest thing a poet can do.
2: Thank you. It's been lovely to be here.
0: And to you, Padmachandra, for curating such a fabulous conversation. You know, it was like a little miracle in the week.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Chandrasa. Thank you to everybody.
0: And to you too, Ananda. In a minute, you're going to grace us with a recent poem as well to take us out of this podcast but yeah thanks very much just for showing up when you're in the bardo in the in-between space between lives as it were
3: okay well as it happens i did write one this morning <laughs> and it's blissfully short i don't know what it's called yet but this is it one by one the days fall down there is less and less traffic coming into town The dogs stand with limp tails barking at the shadows. They are waiting for things to be normal again. They are waiting for the old games to begin. A letter drops to the floor. No one picks it up. Every breath I take is suspect. That's it. Not a very optimistic poem, is it? (laughs) thanks for reading it anyway it's really <laughs> nice to hear
0: i love and recognize some of the images in that the letter that drops to the floor and nobody picks up yeah
3: yeah there's
0: a good space around that image isn't there and thanks to all of you for listening it's a delight to be able to connect with so many people and just to bring these kind of conversations out into the public space when there's so much news input alarm that comes and flows in through the internet every day it's nice to make a contribution in a conversation like this just to flow something else in Mm. alongside it the river under the river again coming back to that we hope you can stay well and safe wherever you are if you can join us for meditation each weekday twice a day you'll find the times at the buddha center.com forward slash toolkit you can join us on a home retreat Every couple of weeks, we provide all these lovely Dharma resources for you to just dip into in whatever way your circumstances allow. People just offering the best of themselves as a gift, leaving it out there in the universe, floating in space for each of us just to reach out and touch like a star. And we'll be back with more episodes around these kinds of themes. But in the meantime, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.
3: Thank you very much. That was wonderful.